Our text from this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. You, uh, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. The title of this series has been Life Under Grace. It's remarkable. Life Under Grace. The gospel had come to the Corinthians. For those sitting in this room, the gospel has come to you. It's easy sometimes to have that feel pretty comfortable and what a glory it is that it's comfortable living under grace and having the knowledge of the gospel we can't forget the way the bible pictures it in the midst of a world of darkness light has come right nations that long in darkness have seen a great light and and imagine that in in the midst of darkness light exposing now everything around you differently it's the christian's testimony I was blind, now I see. And I, I don't know if I hear that enough from my own mouth and just in the midst of the world. Say, I was blind, but now I see. I mean, everything is different. In the light of Christ, I used to see my, my life as, as sort of bleak and you just have this, what seems like endless days. What is the point? Is there an eternity or you're racked with guilt and shame and pressure and, and, and conflict and sickness and, and just what is life? And so you grapple with, with everything to feel satisfaction. It's like living in the dark. But life under grace is, is living in light. That's really what's happening to this section of text in the Corinthians. Paul is is engaging in letters that they have written to him, but they're writing from this vantage point of saying, it seems as if everything's different now. What about our marriages? What about if we're single? We haven't gotten married yet. What do we think about that? What do we do with our hands? What do we do with our feet or our money or our, our time, talents, vocation, gifts? What if, what if our spouse isn't a believer? What do we do with money? What do we do with the temple prostitutes down the street and the, the giant temple fortress down the road. What do we do? What do we do in our lives? The truth is, is that the grace has come. Light has come. Wisdom has come. And no longer are we detached and, and not 
the children of God. We're not orphaned. We are adopted. We have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified in Christ. A, a phrase that uh, always annoyed my sisters growing up was, you know, there would be conflict in the house or something would happen and I would just kind of, it's okay. Oh, that got so annoying to them. It's not okay, right? It just, everything can't just be okay, right? You got to feel something. It's, it's fine. You spilled something, right? Conflict, boy drama, it's, it's fine. It's okay. And in some ways I've adopted that as my, one of my theological, uh, just ground-rooted sayings is that in Christ, everything's okay. It's tough to believe that at times. What a wonderful thing to, to have is that suddenly looking around, all the mysteries of where we've been and what we've come from, the difficulties of life, the questions of our health and eternity or our status before God has now, in light of Christ, been made okay. And taking our scripture memory from this quarter, one of the things that we have as an inheritance as Christians is rest. And it is really, really good. So let that be part of our testimony. That leads us into our text today. We are still engaging in this sort of back and forth dialogue of what do we do in our life. And last week we saw what do we, what do, we do with marriages? Are we supposed to abstain from, from sexuality even among, in, in our marriage? Um, should we get divorced uh, how do we live as Christians? Uh, should we be pure in the flesh? Does, does sexual intimacy defile the flesh? Uh, should we divorce our partner if they're not a Christian? Uh, if our uh, partner who, who is not a Christian wants to leave, what do we do? Should we let them go? Very practical, practical questions on how do we live in light of this situation. And Paul gave wisdom into those circumstances. And today he moves on a little bit more um, sort of regarding a sense of being. You might call it vocation. A vocation tends to, in our minds, just think of like a job. It's not necessarily a job, but more of a station in life. If the gospel of grace has come, it might have come to me in a pretty bad situation. If the gospel of grace has come, do I have to radically change my life to live up to my Christianity? I think this text really hits everyone in this room where you are, whether you're a student or unmarried or looking to what to do in the future. And so he begins to raise questions, and wonderfully the text is well organized today. So here's the outline, if this helps you along. You have the principle stated first. Then Paul follows it up with an illustration, and then he follows it up with an application. Okay. So it's well organized. We'll start off with the principle, move to an illustration, and then to an application. Look with me at your text, chapter 7, verse 17. This is the principle that Paul wants to bring to our attention this morning in light of living under grace. <clears throat> Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Let me, let me read that again, but from the King James Version. I like the, I like the, the phrasing 
of this. But as God hath distributed to every man, and as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. Look with me at a few of these things. Let's kind of break down this sentence. First is that uh, whatever God's distribution is, whatever God's assignment may be, walk in it. Walk in faithfulness. Be a Christian where you are. Whatever God has called you, whatever situation that might be, be a Christian there. Pay attention for just a second. Paul is, is informing us theologically, even sort of in passing, that whatever assignment that you have was, was, was what? Was it random? Was it a product of your own making? Well, you might have had choices in doing different things or walking in disobedience or walking in darkness, but whatever situation you are in is described as Paul here as an assignment from God. God takes us from where we are. This is what was happening to the Corinthians. They were coming in to the gospel and hearing it, but they were coming in in the midst of what we would consider horrible anti-Christian culture. Right? Their marriages were a mess. Their sexual lives were a mess. Their beliefs and, and philosophy was a mess. The Corinthian church was, was quite difficult to be a Christian in. And Paul and I were joking recently that, that it's kind of hard to even see them as Christians, some of the things that they're dealing with. But Paul encourages them as a pastor and says, whatever God's assignment was to you to be born into whatever family you were born in, whatever past that was, if it was a past of abuse or neglect or you were born in poverty or you were born in wealth or if you were an attorney or if you were a temple prostitute or if you were X, Y, Z, God's assignment to you is to take you from where you are and now begin to walk in faithfulness. And I think we're going to begin to see is that the Corinthians were confused and wanted to escape their pasts to live up to what they thought was vital Christianity. They wanted to divorce their spouses. They wanted to forsake God's blessing of physical intimacy. They wanted to forsake certain leaders. They wanted to live up to some physical form of embodied faithfulness, which we commend them on, but they were sort of missing the point. And Paul reminds them here, it says, whatever God's distribution was to you, walk in that. He is sovereign over every situation. Why were you saved at 30 and not at 20? That would have spared you a decade of pain. It's God's placement. Why were you saved, but you were born to this family? Your dad and mom were not so good to you? Why were you born in that town? Why were you born with this health problem? You can go on and on and on. Paul says, whatever distribution the Lord gave to you, your assignment is to be faithful right there. Your assignment is to be faithful right there there. He's in charge of the situation, of the timing, and of the placement. Look next at the Lord's calling. Okay? As, the, as God has distributed to every man, and as the Lord hath called every one. God has redeemed you where you are. Whatever situation you were in, we could begin to feel, 
right? That we're always sort of on the verge of being faithful if something in our life changed. That's a very easy temptation for Christians to be in. If I could reach the next plane of spiritual life, then I would really be honoring the Lord. If I were more wealthy, I would be more generous. If I were more healthy, I would be more vigorous in prayer, worship. If I only had more time, I could join more church activities. You could go on down the the, the line here. If only I were a a better prayer, um, if only I could just read a little bit more, I would... I would feel, maybe theologically I understand that God has forgiven me, but I would feel better as a Christian. You ever been that place? I'm striving to be the Christian I want to be. And holy ambition, by the way, is a very good thing. But they had taken it a little too far in placing their identity and sense of rest, and we're going to see in just a second, fairly extremely, into making their, their, their callings radically change their practical lives. Paul, I think, as a wise pastor says, take it easy and walk faithfully right now. Not tomorrow when you have a little bit more money or not in the next season of life when the kids aren't so crazy and you can actually sit down and have your quiet time. Walk in your faithfulness now. You're not trying to perform and God is not ticking off boxes for you and checking up to, to, to elevate you into the realm of peace and finally you can have rest and be a legitimate, faithful Christian. No, you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. Pay attention and walk faithfully now. That's hard. It's very hard for us to do. It's kind of like a parent who um, you you. You want your kids to grow, and you're not dissatisfied with where they are now, and yet you are not content with them staying where they're at. Does that make sense? So there's no sense of I'm discontent in who you are as a three-year-old, but I am not content to let you remain a three-year-old. And yet, the entire time, your love for them as a parent does not change. It's sort of how God looks at us. That ambition to grow is is right. He is a father who disciplines and corrects and encourages and feeds and blesses. And to us it can feel like we are trying to achieve that love. But a good parent says, of course I want you to grow. But the love is always there. The peace should always be there. That's very hard to get through a Christian's Head, is that you have arrived. Does that make sense? You, you, sanctification is that we're continuing to grow, but you're justified in the sense that you, you have arrived. Right? You are not called to live in this sort of anxious balancing act. You're called to rest and faithfulness now. God is in the process of redeeming a fallen world, restoring it, which is not the same thing as arranging do-overs, as one commenter says. Beautifully put. 
God is in the business of restoring the world, so taking people from where they are and moving them forward and not saying, okay, now go back and redo it and try again. Change your circumstances. No, no, no. Moving us forward into redemption. So let them walk. That's what Paul says. So let them walk. Church, wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever situation that you've come from, the thing that kind of gnaws at you in the back of your head that you just wish was gone or different and do-over, you're not going to get that chance. But walk in faithfulness. Walk in faithfulness. And with the knowledge that God placed you sovereignly where you came from, but you are not in your identity your past. You are who you are today in Christ. Let's look a little bit about that through these illustrations because it does get to identity. Verses 18 through 23, I'm going to sort of read again, or, or actually I'll just I'll summarize. It was two illustrations they, Paul began to give. One was the issue of circumcision. Right? So neither the circumcised or the uncircumcised is anything. It's the, not anything. It's those who obey the Lord. The second illustration was one of slavery, of a bondservant. All right, if you're a slave or free, it doesn't really matter. Both situations, the free man's actually the slave to Christ, and the bond man is actually free in Christ. So there's a new perspective here, and he's given this very practical cultural illustrations that would have been sort of everywhere and, and applying to most everybody around. Let's look at first the issue, the illustration of circumcision. This was a cultural Right, so he's applying to this gospel principle, this principle on cultural and even physical identity. Circumcision was a a sign of identity. It was who you were, a child of the covenant, or a Gentile. Right, sort of was a balancing act defining who you were. So some Jews who became Christians wished to hide their Jewishness. They're in a Greek context. Uh, The Jews were sometimes a despised people. So they were incorporating themselves into Greek life, which means they would go down to the the gymnasium, right, and go down to the baths, and they would be naked down there, and they wanted to reconfigure themselves physically to not look Jewish anymore. That day you used to go to the gym and everyone was naked, and now you go to the gym everyone's only half naked. So it's gotten a little better. On that, some Christians wish to become circumcised. So the book of Galatians, right? They were kind of questioning, do we even force them to be circumcised, to be faithful Christians? But the gospel is not only skin deep. The gospel is not skin deep, as if to say a physical, tangible change to the flesh would make you measure up and level up into the status of faithful Christianity. And and more than the physical changes here, although circumcision was was sort of a bit tied with with identity there, I think the heart of this is not the physical application per se, but it's this perception of identity. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping, rather, the commandments of God. The illustration here, like I said, is physical. and represents... Identity, the changing of our physical appearance to identify with a more faithful Christianity. So what do we, how would we apply that 
practically now? How would we apply that practically now? I was thinking through this, and I think it could go on for quite some time, but I, I would think if I showed up as a missionary in Africa, I began to present the gospel, there would be a temptation for Africans to want to dress and look and talk and sing and preach with the cadence that I preach in in order to measure up to some sense of faithful Christianity. At least there'd be a temptation maybe to do that. But Paul says you really don't need to do that. The gospel isn't in these sort of tangibles of, and he gets to many more times in this book of Corinthians of, of clothing and dress and, and food and, and, and style and teacher and rhetoric. It's, it's more than that. The gospel is the grace of Christ. It's Christ and him crucified. It changes things. Do we need to change the way we, we dress? Well, maybe if we dress inappropriately. It's not honoring to God. The principle here is Circumcision or uncircumcision is nothing but those who keep the commandments of the Lord. There's not necessarily a Christian style. At Southern Seminary, we used to joke, you, you had to have a fountain pen and a beard, right, to be a good Reformed Baptist theologian, right? PCA, is, the joke is pipe, cigars, and alcohol, right? So we bring in to... It checks out, doesn't it? Um, we do bring in an identity, and we do this kind of jokingly now, but there are subtle ways where we can begin to press that if you were really faithful, you would look like X, Y, and Z. Faithful Christianity looks like that. Oftentimes it's a facade. You can almost kind of see it in like the Instagram culture. Like you're presenting a faithful life or a happy life or a wealthy life or an easy life. But it's kind of a facade. It's a trick of the mind. And you don't want to do that as a Christian to other Christians. Especially that was a, kind of the writing to the Galatians. Is don't put that pressure on it. It's kind of missing the point of the gospel. And I could really see this even amongst the... Uh, you know, even sort of like r racial tensions uh, during times of segregation, right? Bringing the gospel to someone and you, okay, you need to look more white or you need to look more black or you need to look more X, Y, Z. That's, it just misses the point. That's what he's getting at here. It's a particular problem in their context between Jewishness and that Hellenistic culture. One of the beauties of the gospel is that we should be able to kind of trans. Uh, you know, tr transfer ourselves around the world into different contexts and churches and see beautifully brothers and sisters. That is just a remarkable, remarkable thing. Actually, interesting, uh, kind of a high visibility case of something like this that kind of happened recently. You're familiar with the tattoo artist Kat Von D uh, from, it's like a TLC show, LA Inc. or something. She just recently became a Christian and gave her testimony. And she, part of her kind of testimony was, I, I just don't know what to do with my body now. Like, I want to be a Christian. I want my physical body to measure up to my testimony now. And I look at my arms, and I've got this stuff about my witchcraft that I used to. I hate it. I don't want it on my arms anymore. 
So what would the gospel have to say to her about where she came from? How could she walk forward in obedience without shame, even if she wears her shame on her arms like she feels that she does? It's a really interesting thought. How the gospel, when we get it right, at our best, when we get it right, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Don't get me wrong, there are wise ways to dress and wise ways to act, and there are good music to listen to. But their question was, how do we live, Paul? How do we become vital Christians? Do we leave our spouse? Do we cut off our flesh? Do we, what do we do? Just walk where you are. One of the beautiful testimonies is that it's going to be all different. We're going to be walking from all different places. And one of, some of us are going to be walking with limps, you know, because it's tough to walk faithfully from where you're coming from. But the glory of the gospel is that we're all walking from where we came from. It's an amazing thing. Our stories suggest that they're not all the same story. We shouldn't put pressure on Christians to, to, to all want to have the same story. Oh, I all wish we were baptized at six years old at VBS and we had no trouble. So that's just not the truth. And you can't go back and get a do-over. But you do all get the same thing, which is the perfect record of Christ's righteousness and the aid of the Spirit to walk faithfully now, wherever you are. Wherever you are. <clears throat> Look at the second illustration, that of slavery. So it's moving a little bit away from identity and it begins to apply more to a situation in life. More to a situation in life. More to status and stature. He says this in verse 20, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord... As a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is a free man when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. When the gospel comes to a person, whatever station he is in his life, he does not have to become rich, does not have to become married, does not have to become divorced, become single like Paul. He doesn't have to be healthy. Sometimes there's the prosperity gospel, right? To be a vital Christian, God will bless you. Sometimes there's the poverty gospel. If you're a really good Christian, you give all your money away, become a missionary, walk on your knees, right? We kind of put that pressure on people. The gospel doesn't, doesn't give us that. I had a friend one time, used to, used to tell me, man, one day I'm going to make lots of money. When I do, Boy, I'm going to give to the church. I'm going to, I'm going to give to Christian schools. Give to all these great causes. And I wanted to be like, scale that down. Are you giving now? You know? Well, no. It'll be a lot easier when I'm rich. <laughs> no, it won't. Paul says a couple things to, to the slave. He says, don't be concerned about it. Some translations uh, say, do not be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled about it. Don't fret. Right? You become a Christian uh, and you're a slave. What he means is, don't think that you're any less a Christian. Because you're in an entirely different situation than you want to be in. But don't fret that you're not saved, that you're not loved, that you're not in Christ. Or that you're in any way separated from God because of your circumstances. Don't fall into the trap of, if only 
X, Y, or Z, I'd be happy. I'd be faithful. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be a better Christian. Serve God where you are. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your marriage. It might be pretty rocky. And you know what? The, the counsel here is, is not throw your hands up and not move towards health. That's not the wisdom here. I hope you see that. Um, sometimes there is wisdom in moving your situation and growing in health. And we do pray for health if we're sick. And we do pray for reconciled marriages. And if you're single, if you're a young kid, listen to this sermon, right? And think about ambition for the future. But if you think that your standing before God is somehow diminished because of the circumstances with which you came from, one, remember that they were sovereignly administered to you. And second, right, don't let your heart be troubled. Walk faithfully where you are. He says, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now, there's kind of two translations of this text, or, or commentators kind of have trouble. The, the, the grammar here is a bit tough to distinguish but here are those two different interpretations and I think both kind of inform us on this text in a, in a helpful way in a way that matches the argument that, that's still fitting the first one is um, if you have the ability as a slave to free yourself do it go for it it's not wrong to change your circumstance that's kind of what I was getting at I, I think that's a perfectly suitable situation if you heard this sermon and you left with the application of uh, I'm stuck where I am, but honor God and, and, and don't have any ambition to change. I think that would be wrong. I think the application is where you are has is, is been given to you. Take heart. Don't be afraid. And if you can change your situation, and that's uh, honoring to the Lord, if you're single and, and want to get married, if you're, you're married to someone who's not a believer and they want to leave you, like we studied last week, pro- proceed with those changes, but take heart in your standing the Lord. The second interpretation would be um, use your situation. Instead of avail yourself of the situation, it's take advantage of it. Commentators are sort of stuck. Is he saying in part of the argument that if you're a slave and you can free yourself, do it? It seems to match up a little bit with the argument. If you're a slave and you're called to Christ, stay there. Take advantage of it. Use it. I think there's some wisdom in that. If you come from a situation that's not ideal, like many came from uh, indentured servitude. If you come from a family background that's not ideal or a marriage that's not ideal or, or health that's not ideal, part of walking now where you are is that that glorifies God in your testimony. So instead of seeking to sort of escape it or erase it or sort of do a redo or a do-over, it is a particular glory that a slave, and he's going to kind of get to this application in just a second, is that a slave walks up his shoulders upright. He is a free man in the Lord. In actual reality, he's not a bondservant at all. In actual reality, the man who is wealthy and free and who thinks he walks earthly, proud with the shoulders back, lives prostrate, a bondservant to Christ. It is a particular glory in your situation that points to Christ. And they'll all look different, right? They'll all look different. What a, why do we have the biography series that we just kind of did through Sunday school? It is because through different, unique circumstances, God is magnified in ways that we couldn't see unless those situations were presented as they are. And so those characters are worth 
remembering. Those stories are worth telling because they were faithful um, um, among situations that we wouldn't wish for ourselves oftentimes, but we get that faithfulness right there. And it is a help to us to see it. We don't shame people for their testimonies. We don't say hide it, put it down, and walk as a Christian that looks like us, kind of polished and clean, and there was no background noise. No, walk as a Christian, and you're, you're bringing in all of that past with you, but only in the sense that it glorifies God, not that it shames your identity. Samuel Rutherford says, The duties are, are ours, the events are the Lord's. I'm going to say that again. It's a tough one. It's a good one to remember. The duties are ours, but the events are the Lord's. Whatever happens to you in your life, the events that happen are from God. But in those events, the duty to be obedient is is ours. Is ours. Do not be afraid to be bondservants of men. The Christian lives on another plane and is not controlled by the opinions of of men, Whether you're free and proud or a slave and lowly, God has called you to freedom or bondage in him. In Christ, we're free men. Let's go lastly to the application. Verse 24. That was the principle. We saw the illustrations. Here's the application. So, brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. Brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. Our circumstances change, but God does not. We will remain with the sovereign arm of the Lord. Whatever condition you're in this morning, kids, right? you kind of have the world before you, you come from a particular place in a particular family your calling and stature in this life is not the job you will take the marriage you will have the kids or money you will have but only your relation in obedience to the lord you are made in god's image adults Married couples, no matter what the status or how great or rocky or difficult your marriage has been, your standing before the Lord is not valued on the quality of your marriage. But walk where you are right now in faithfulness to Him. Let me me phrase this another way. I know in my life, I still carry around a few very specific things that I've done or said or wish were different. I think we probably all have that. A couple things that I wish I could just go back and erase from my memory and do them differently. And I carry them into my Christian life. And sometimes they feel like a sandbag. You read Pilgrim's Progress? Walking around with that big heavy burden on his back. And then he gets to the cross and the burden falls off. And somewhere along my Christian life, I reach back there and grab it again. And just, maybe I'm just dragging it behind me, but I'm saying it's still there. And I'm slower for it. And I'm not really free from it. And Paul says, 
whatever that circumstance was, however bad it might have been, let it go. And walk now in faithfulness in Christ. So put it this way. In Christ, many of us wish we came into the church, we have accepted the gospel, that feels great, but we wish we could go back and change the pedigree from which we came. They wish they weren't slaves. They wish they wouldn't have done so much sexual immorality. Paul, I'm sure, wishes he wouldn't have been a bystander to some people's murders, right? I mean, it's some pretty heavy stuff. But you have been given the perfect pedigree in Christ. You have his righteousness. You have his family line. You don't have your own anymore. You wish you could change your record, things you said, things you did with your hands, things that plague you. The gospel says drop it. Who you are today is you have the righteousness of Christ. You are white as snow. And part of the testimony in the fight of faith is having that so frequently in our head that it can actually do battle with how frequently the shame is in our head, right? Because shame carry around all the time. Circumstances, the, the, the desire for change is there all the time. And you have to fight that with the frequency of saying, even when my heart condemns me, right? God is greater than my heart. I'm not leaning on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm acknowledging him. And who am I in him? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm a new man. If I feel that chain around my arm, that slavery to where I've come from, with that who I've been, what I've said, what I've done, the situation, my health, my family, well, look down at your arms again. You're a slave no longer. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It begins to make our testimony, even now in a world that feels a bit numb to Christianity, very palpable, very strong, very real. When we walk in, in a way that almost nobody has, in a way that our world is so foreign, and, and, and when I look at the things that are in front of our faces, the advertising, the social media, and the thing, the thing that's in front of our faces, restlessness, is discontent. Christians do not join in the party we join you we're just as discontent as you are no we're not our testimony is a deep-seated contentment walking in the same testimony that the world wanted that was that used to be me such were some of you that's a powerful testimony but it has to be the case that we are no longer and much of that is our contentment and that our looking and holding on to the lord walking every day Sometimes I have to get up here on a Sunday and assure us in my office, right, of assurance of our pardon. Maybe I can uh, send you all a text every morning from now on. We need it often. That's what it means for Paul to pastor and say, no, this is life now, not under the long shadow where he came from. But it is under the light of Christ. It's a life under grace. 